What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Please Stay Inside podcast. My name is Rob. This is episode number nine. So we are doing something a little bit different today. Uh, I do not have a guest today, so I'm just going to share a little bit um, about my experience in becoming a therapist, how I initially got interested in the field, answer any questions that you have about being a therapist, about getting into the field, anything psychology-related whatsoever. Um, so I'm currently live over on TikTok. I'm live over on YouTube. And so, yeah, we'll just kind of see how things go. This is a little bit of a different uh, a different style for me, so I'm honestly kind of excited about it. I haven't done the podcast without a <clears throat> without a guest on before, so we'll, we'll give it a shot. So, I in, in becoming a therapist, it's been a long journey. Um, I did not always want to be a therapist. I wasn't always uh, interested in therapy in general. Um, I Initially in high school, I really wanted to go into law. Um, I argued a lot. I was very good at arguing. I was very good at debating. I was part of um, the Future Business Leaders of America debate team over there. And so that was a big thing that I was passionate about. It was a big thing that I wanted to do. And so when I was applying to colleges, I was trying to, one of the things I wanted to try to do, uh, I wanted to look into getting into architecture. Uh, even though I can't draw and I'm not good at math. That was one of the things I was generally just kind of interested in because I like building. Um, but the more profitable of the two and the one that I decided I would go into uh, was being a lawyer. And so I initially applied to, uh, to Hofstra University up in Long Island, got in, and I went to uh, Hofstra for a little while. So while I was at Hofstra, I studied political science. Um, I didn't really take my classes all that seriously, um, nor did I really um, really apply myself in general. Uh, I was just kind of there for the college experience, I think, for the most part. And a lot of it was, you know, the fact that I, so I, I had finally gotten away from home and I had all this new freedom. And so being at Hofstra, being in Long Island, I was, I grew up in Mechanicsville, Maryland. I was so far away from home that I felt like I could just do anything I wanted to. I could go to class. I could not go to class. You know, I could use whatever I wanted to use. You know, the, the world was my oyster. Uh, and so I attended some of my classes. And one of the classes that I remember having um, was a psychology course, an intro to psychology course that I'm sure everybody who has gone to college has probably taken. I, I feel like intro to psych is like a, a standard thing for, for everybody. Um, and I, I did find that really interesting. And through that, and I think just a series of other experiences, one of them being actually getting to watch a court case in New York City. Um, the New York Yankees were having a contract, um, some, some kind of like contract law trial in New York. And so being uh, in one of the classes that I was in, we got to go watch the trial, see what happens, see what the ins and outs of a courtroom feel like. Uh, and it was boring. I hated it. And nothing about it was very interesting to me other than uh, one of the witnesses she was very argumentative and I remember one of the uh, one, one of the lawyers like trying to like stop her and like slow her down like like please like just answer the question and she would like try to like elaborate and so that was fun at least but overall it was just a real drag um, but in taking this class it was a seminar that that Hofstra offers which is wonderful um, they offer these these seminars over there that include like a field trip type of deal and so that was our field trip for one of our classes but another class that I had on globalization, um, we went and we got to see, I believe it was the UN, um, which was really, really cool to, to be able to see. Um, 
And afterwards, this was around the time that Occupy Wall Street had been going on, which for those who don't know, was this really big protest um, that was going on. Because uh, I mean, 2011 when I graduated high school and when I think I went, this was shortly after the financial crisis of 08, 09, etc. And um, people were really not stoked about the government um, and about the way that the government was spending money. And so Occupy Wall Street, uh, among many things, was, was based on the, that financial situation. Uh, and so it was not a required part of the seminar, but the professor said that she was going to be going over to check things out. So we were more than welcome to go. So it was the one and only time I ever rode the subway in New York. Um, I didn't like that very much either. Uh, but, you know, we made it down there. And at the time, I had brought a camera. And so we were interviewing people there and talking to people about, you know, what is it that brought you down here? What is it that you're really passionate about? You know, why do you feel like this movement is really important? And so people would give us feedback. People were really willing to talk to us about things, which I was, was really happy about. And it started to create a shift in, I think, what I was interested in. I, I was interested, I think, in, in law for so long because I really liked just logic and I liked debating and arguing about things, you know, all, all those kinds of things. Um, but I, I think in this and in a lot of things in college, I just became more interested in society at large and what it is that, you know, what it is that, that make people tick and why people do the things that they do within a society. Um, and so I went and, and I, and I wanted to start getting into journalism. Uh, and of course I did not finish my time at Hofstra. I ended up having to take a leave of absence because, um, I was heavy, heavy into substance abuse at the time. Uh, and so I had gone on to academic probation. I had lost my scholarships. And at that time I had to, um, I, I had to come back home and just go into, uh, go into community college for a little while. Uh, and so I went, I got myself clean, you know, um, still used every once in a while, but I, I was kind of getting things on track. And I got to the point where I could, I had the grades where I could go to another university, uh, St. Mary's College of Maryland, which was where I eventually graduated from. And I, I love that place. Um, I still have a lot of love for that place. So I went there um, and I was still doing a lot of substance abuse. Um, but at this time, I, I was really wanting to go into psychology because I was very interested. One of the things that I think surprisingly actually really got me interested in psychology and pushed me deeper into the field was the fact that I was engaging in substance abuse. Because with like recreational use of things like hallucinogens and you know all, all these different all, all these different things, um, I became really interested in why they worked and what they did and how they how they did the things that they did. And in trying to figure this out, I would get really engaged in a lot of my psychology courses. Uh, I wouldn't do the homework still, and I wouldn't really do well on the tests. But I did become like intensely interested in just how substances affected the brain. And from there, I got really interested in just how does the brain work in general. And then from there, it was how does addiction work? What is addiction? Why do people build up a tolerance to thing, things? Why do they get addicted to things? Um, and again, from there, wanted to just study abnormal psychology in general. I remember one of the things I asked for for Christmas uh, back in the day was the DSM-5, uh, which was a real nerd gift, but it was something I loved. It's something that I, I have sitting right next to me, actually. Uh, and so from there, I would just kind of read the DSM. I would go through and I would just want to learn more about, um, about 
different things within psychology. I just wanted to, I wanted to know everything. And I still kind of sit in the point now where I want to know everything that there is to know about psychology. I want to know how every part of the brain works. I want to read every single study. What's going on, Pixie Sticks? Good to see you. Um, I, you know, I want to know everything. I want to know everything that there is to know about psychology. I want to know everything about every condition. I want to know the ins and outs. I want to know all of it. And so I really got fully into that as I, as I was studying psychology. And now, granted, what was, what was still happening was a lot of the substance abuse. And so I wasn't really good at the academic part of things. I, I have ADHD alongside this, um, but with the ADHD, there's a lot of substance abuse that goes into it. There's a lot of comorbidity, um, rather, with ADHD and, and substance abuse. Um, and I was continuing to do it to help treat that, as well as treat a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the depression um, that, I was, that I, I was dealing with at the time, that I was honestly kind of refusing to deal with at the time. Uh, and so I still wasn't very good at the school part, but I would, um, I would engage in a lot of substance abuse, in, in substances that would allow me to stay up for hours on end and to read and to research. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot of things and I was getting really good at understanding some of the psych psychological concepts, but, you know, it just, it wasn't clicking <clears throat> just because I, you know, again, I, I, I was still using really heavily. So the time, if thing, things got to a point, just let me, let me slow down a little bit because I do feel like I'm kind of flying through things. <clears throat> so... Within the substance abuse that was going on in my life, um, I the, the big problem for me, because I've used a lot of things over the years. Um, I have used, yeah, mo most of the things. Um, I, I hesitate to use exact words because I don't want to uh, get, get tagged for anything. Um, but the thing that became a really big problem in my life was both stimulants and alcohol. One of the things that would happen would was I remember when I was first introduced to stimulants, it was more introduced as a party thing that, you know, you would do this, you would, you know, abuse that, and then you would go out and you would party. And so while you would be using that, you could also drink really heavily. And while you're drinking really heavily, you remain very cognizant because you're also using stimulants, um, which is a horrifically dangerous combination. And it's not something that anybody should do because you can drink so much that you can, you know, overdose on that and you cannot even realize it. Um, so very important thing to thing to put out there. Um, so why did I use that? What, what was I numbing? I had a crippling fear of failure. Um, that is one of the things that I was numbing. Um, a lot of trauma and just a intense feeling of inadequacy that I think I felt for a very long time. I still have a very crippling need for people to like me. It's still something that I go through a lot. It's something that I have to keep an eye on a lot because it's something that, you know, e even even after the stimulant use, I continue to drink really heavily for a long time. And I would get intensely nasty with people very, very quickly because I would see something that somebody did as a slight towards me. You know, somebody is trying to get one over on me. Somebody is trying to damage my reputation, make me look bad. And you know, I would fly off the handle. Uh, and and that, that's a problem I, I've had for a really long time. Um, and, and so that was a lot of what I was numbing. And, and you know, I, I had gotten put on academic probation at one point. I, would, I was even put up for academic dismissal because things didn't improve. And when I was put up for that, I then 
appeal to stay on, on uh, stay on campus and to be able to continue to go to the university, and I fell right back into it. And so in the fall semester of 2015, I'd been using for a while at this point, um, I had started up, I had had the summer to get clean, and I go back to school in the fall of 2015, and I was committed to staying clean. I was committed to being able to stay on track and to get things done. But sometimes with substance abuse, you can stay clean for a certain period of time, and you can you can get really overly confident in what you're capable of at this point. You can essentially reach this point where you say, oh, I'm good now, I'm clean, you know, I'm never gonna go back to that, and you can put a stamp on it, and you can say, I'm never doing that again, I'm never going back to that. But I'm gonna dabble in it. And so what would happen is I would drink, I, I still drank, um, all the time, all the time. And when I would get really, really drunk, I would be much more open to the possibility of using again. And I would start. And so I started using on weekends, and then that quickly spiraled out of control to where I was using on weekdays, and then I was using in increasing amounts. And so the cycle that I was caught in when it came to the substances themselves was I had, I had really, really bad anxiety. Um, I, I think that the use of stimulants uh, and the use of alcohol to the point that I use them has still to this day, I feel like it has permanently damaged my brain. Um, and so that along with a lot of the other just mental disorders, mental, mental health symptoms that I have going on, you know, it left me in a point where I felt intensely anxious a lot, especially when it came to doing things like schoolwork. And so what I would do is I would sit down and do schoolwork and so I would use some of the stimulant in order to keep myself focused, in order to stay on task. But then I would use too much of it, and I would become very, very anxious. So I would drink to take some of the edge off of that, but then I would drink too much. And so then I would have to use more of the stimulant to make myself more conscious, more awake. But then I would use too much of it, and so then I would have to drink more. All the while, I'm smoking cigarettes like a chimney. I, I was, yeah, I was very unhealthy at the time. I was not eating really at all. There was probably a whole year where I rarely ever ate. Um, and so it got to this point where it was unmanageable. I mean, I was drinking 20 beers a day, kind of on average, um, about 20 beers a day. And I was using an abhorrent amount of stimulants. And so things got to a point where, you know, I, I wasn't sleeping well. And for anybody who has experienced insomnia before, who has had a lot of trouble sleeping, you know the madness that comes from not being able to sleep. You know what it's like to just lay in bed and just stare and just think and just get frustrated with the fact that you can't go to sleep. And one of the one of these experiences that I, I still remember really, really vividly, because with any kind of with any kind of traumatic experience, with any kind of just anything, our our senses hold on to memories. Um, and one of the things that I always hated was hearing the sound of birds in the morning. Because when I started to hear birds in the morning, it meant that I had, I had missed another night of sleep. And I had to now try to go through this day without sleeping whatsoever. Um, which wasn't really possible for me. And again, the lack of sleep just leads to more anxiety. And so uh, I'll answer your, your questions here in just a minute. And so after not sleeping for a really long time and just going through this cycle over and over and over again, um, I got to the point where um, I didn't want to live anymore. 
it was something that I think I, I had thought about for a while before this. It had gone on for weeks because I, I tried school so many times and I saw school as being the only way for me to succeed. It was the only way that I could do anything that I wanted to do. And I had racked up so much student debt that, you know, if I pull out now, I already have all of this debt and I can't do anything with it. I can't pay this off because I don't feel like I'll be able to have a job that will be able to afford that. And I just reached this point where I remember just laying in bed and it, it, it wasn't even like a linear process of like it got worse and just and I got there. It was just I immediately just started thinking like what is the, the least painful way that I can go about doing this. And I laid there for hours just thinking about it and considering it, building up the motivation for it. And at some point, my mom had crossed my mind. And I think when she crossed my mind, it really flipped a switch in my brain that this wasn't just about me, that I wasn't the only person who was going to be hurt by what I was doing. And I wasn't the only person that I was hurting for a long time. Um, you know, somebody asked the question, how did I get how do I arrange to get the money to get so much alcohol and stimulants? And my mom was one of the people. I was, I mean, I told you in high school, I, I did a lot of arguing and debating. I was really good at it. And addiction puts us into like a survival kind of mentality where you will figure out any way to get what you want. And I developed this way of being able to manipulate people, my mom, other people, into giving me the things that I wanted, into giving me alcohol for free, into giving me stimulants. Um, I would do just kind of odd jobs for people because I knew like people in college, like they've got, they've got classes, they've got other things they gotta do, but their dorm rooms aren't getting clean and, and, and you know, they got laundry to do all that stuff. And so I would do some of that stuff as well. Um, you know, and I would barter with people, just the, the whole thing. Um, you know, and, and so in that moment, my mom comes to mind and it was like, you know, I, it ripped me out of it so intensely. And it was one of the first times that I felt anything for, I think, I mean, it must have been months. I don't think I had felt much of anything. Um, and I just hit this point where it was like, I need to, I need to figure this out. Like, I, this is not going to figure itself out. I can't ignore that this is a problem anymore. I need to get there. Um, and I called my mom, I think like 6, 6.30 in the morning. Uh, and I told her, uh, I, I got to get out of here. I got to come home. Um, and so we talked to the, the uh, to some officials on campus who handle like uh, academic accommodations for disabilities, things like that. Um, I didn't tell them that I was using. I did tell them that I was intensely anxious and that I was depressed and that I was unable to do anything. Um, I told my mom the same thing. I, I didn't admit my addiction to her. Um, she could probably see it because as a result of, of my usage of stimulants, I, I looked very, very different. I am, I'm about 180 right now. Uh, I weighed about 150. Um, and so I, I took the time and I went and I started, I, I took time off of school um, and I played some video games for sure. I know Fallout 4 was out and uh, that was a new thing and Metal Gear Solid 5 was out, so I played that a lot. But... I really started to take my mental health seriously. Um, I had been to a therapist previously, but it was just to try to figure out how to get stimulants. Um, and when they wouldn't give it to me, they gave me some, some stuff that, I, that just didn't work for me. Um, I just ditched it. And um, I started really taking, taking therapy seriously. Um, and I'll get into that here in a moment, but I want to answer some questions before we get there. 
Uh, so what's your advice for someone who has been out of work for a few years due to depression? Um, I mean, that, that's a difficult answer. Uh, I mean, therapy in general is always, you know, the, the thing that I recommend, generally speaking. Um, but I don't know, for, for me, with working through my depression, there are so many things that I have to do for myself. It's a, it's a daily process. Like, I have to check many things off of a list to kind of keep myself going. You know, my diet, my exercise, surrounding myself with, with people and with things that will keep me in a positive space or keep me in a productive space, you know. And I, and I actually do the thing that I love nowadays, so that's personally at least how I, how I work through it. Um, perhaps when I, when I go live in the future, I can answer some more questions, but I'm trying to, I guess, stick to, the, stick to just my experience for the time being at least. Um, I've been there, quit drinking four, four days ago, going strong, back at the gym, and I can finally sleep. I love that. Um, yeah, so the, the gym was one of the big things that I also changed about my life. Uh, I, as I was going to therapy, I started going to the gym a lot as well. And um, I eventually, when I would return to school, I would go back into rugby. Uh, and the gym has consistently been something that has kept me clean and has kept me on track for all of this time. Uh, because, you know, not only does working out do wonders for your mental health, I would recommend it for everybody. Um, you know, if you are physically able to do any form of exercise, uh, you know, having that as being a part of your life, I think is one of the, one of the most effective natural things that you can do for yourself, um, that can help to, uh, that can help to get you into a better place. Um, but along with that, the gym was also my form of accountability because I can't use stimulants and not sleep if I'm going to go to the gym in the morning, right? I, if I'm going to wake up, because I went early, man. If I'm going to wake up at like 5 in the morning to go to the gym, I have to go to bed on time. I also can't drink heavily because I'm going to wake up with a hangover, I'm going to go back to sleep, and I'm not going to go. Um, and so that really helped to keep me accountable. And it's still like, it's still something that I do every day. I mean, since, since 2015, so it's been eight years now that I've been working out. And it's, it's a very big, big part of my life. Um, I'm trying to read through some of these comments. Uh, let's see where we're at. Yeah, lying, manipulating. Yeah, it's it's a big thing. Um, how do you do the ADHD now? So I, I'm a very structured person. Um, I do my best to keep things in places where I can see them. Um, I do my best to keep things in the same places all the time. Um, I, I it, it's it's taken a lot of practice and a lot of discipline, but I'm at the point now where like the moment I'm done using something, I just put it back. I. I hate it, and I don't like doing it a lot of the time. Um, I don't like doing a lot of the mundane, everyday things, but I just I, I have to do it immediately because if I don't, I'm going to forget about it, and I'm going to leave it there, and I know it's going to pile up with everything else. Um, I also am very honest with myself about my memory. My memory sucks. So I take notes all the time. Um, I keep calendars. I have a calendar on my phone. I have a calendar on the wall. I have a calendar on the fridge. I've got so many ways of keeping myself accountable for all of that. Uh, I get notifications on my phone, all of that. Um, so in essence, the big thing that I deal with now is note taking as a therapist is really difficult sometimes. Uh, and so I have to do, I do that in session, which I think has also helped with just my practice because we summarize things at the end of the session. My clients get to contribute to what, what it says in the note. And um, I find that that's really helpful. Um, and then, so I mean, then outside of that, it's just, I'm hyperactive as as hell just all, all the time um my girlfriend gets the brunt of it because i'm just a whack job all the time i might not see it on seem like it on here but i am like 
you ask her, I am legitimately strange. <laughs> and and it, it all comes out, um, you know, and she's very accepting of that. And she's cool with it. Sometimes she's like, okay, you, you need to stop. And I'm like, okay, I, I get that. And I'll find another way to, to get some of that energy out. I'll go to another room or, you know, I'll, I'll do something else. But yeah, so I do that. I still hyperfixate a ton. Um, like I've been reading articles all day, just on personality disorder stuff, uh, you know. And so that, that's kind of where the, where the ADHD lies now. Um, I appreciate you, Bruno. Um, you're walking in nature is great. Uh, do you only interview content creators for your lives? Nope. Anybody who wants to come on and talk about their mental health journey, um, they're welcome. Please just feel free. Uh, in my bio on TikTok, I have an application you can fill out. You can also send me a DM um, if that's helpful. I prefer for people to do the application because I get some information on you too that I then use to ask questions and all that. But um, yeah, anybody who wants to share their mental health journey, wants to talk anything, um, wants to talk anything mental health, I'm here for it. Uh, I do have a podcast. You're actually watching it. Um, so this is the Please Stay Inside podcast. You can find it on all podcast platforms. This is currently episode nine. So we got a big one next week, episode 10. Very, very big day for me. Um, let's see. So did you complete the degree and how did you deal with student debt? Uh, G-H-I-H, I appreciate you so much. You have given me the perfect segue into, uh, into continuing with talking about what I'm talking about. So um, I would eventually finish the degree. Uh, so I went back to school. Um, so I had gotten clean on November 2nd, 2015. It is still a day that I celebrate every year. I will buy myself anything that I want. I get to eat whatever I want. I get to, you know, have a good day. Uh, it hasn't fallen on a weekend here recently. Um, so I'm hoping that it, it, that it, that it does soon. Let me check my calendar actually. Um, oops, that's not a calendar. What is that? Um, let me see calendar. Let's see, November 2nd, please tell me. It's a Thursday, dang. Um, but yeah, I celebrate November 2nd, excuse me, 2015 every single year. Um, it is a very important day for me. It's a day that reminds me of how far I've come in my life. Um, so I got clean, and over the, uh, over the winter break, uh, I would, I then, you know, I, I, I went to, um, I went to therapy. I didn't have a very good experience with therapy with that, that first therapist. Um, she seemed like she was kind of just burnt out and wasn't really there for it. Um, you know, just wasn't, she didn't seem animated about it. She didn't seem like she really wanted to talk to me. Like she was just kind of there just to exist in the office while I was there. Um, and she, you know, when I did start to open up about some things, she just kind of did one of those, uh, did one of those toxic positivity reassuring type of things um, where she was like, yep, it's kind of like that sometimes and just laughed it off. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Cause I was, I was starting, I was starting to like talk about trauma. I hadn't shared with anybody about that other than my close friends. And so um, that was nuts that she did that. So I stopped seeing her, but um, I kept seeing my psychiatrist who was very, very helpful with medications. Um, he uh, prescribed me medication for my ADHD and uh medication for my anxiety and for my depression. Um, it was enormously helpful in allowing me to then succeed in school um, because, you know, I still have ADHD, I still have depression, I still have anxiety. And so I need to be able to, to function in order to do school. And so I went back in January of 2016 and um, yeah, I rejoined the rugby team. 
Uh, they are still some of my best friends to this day. They are my favorite people in the entire world, um, aside from my family, my partner. Um, what's going on, Gio? And, uh, you know, they were so enormously supportive of me um, in everything that I did. Uh, all of those guys knew what I was going through. They all knew my history of addiction. They knew that I had taken a leave of absence and that I had taken some time to kind of get things together. Um, and I'd been loosely involved in the rugby team before, but uh, I was like fully committed to it at this point. And they were the most supportive people I, I could have ever asked for. Um, shortly into my time back at school, one of my, uh, one of my classmates who was at, at the time dating, uh, one of my, one of my teammates, um, was putting on this, uh, this forum where students would come, uh, they had found some students that had mental health concerns that they were working through. And it was a health forum on mental health in the classroom. And so they would share their stories, they would answer questions, all that. And I heard that it was happening and I asked her if I could be a part of it. Um, and she said, oh yeah, absolutely. I was like, I was the only guy who, who, who wanted to do it. Um, because I, I feel like men even still are, are very unhealthily silent about mental health, um, which is, a, I think, a big societal issue more than it is, you know, just an individual thing. You know, I, I think it goes a lot deeper than just uh, than just one person being like, eh, I don't really feel it. Um, I think it's a it's a very big problem in our society. Um, but I took part in that, and I cannot remember how many rugby people showed up, but it was a lot of them. They filled up a lot of that room. Um, you know, and that I think for me was one of the most transformative experiences of my life because I realized how much support I truly had behind me. Um, and it allowed me to, for the first time, I think, um, and I'm getting a little emotional, so I, I do apologize. Um, it was the first time that I could talk about my addiction as if it had been over. You know, it was the first time that I really felt like I was getting better. And I really felt like I was a person again and that I was really doing the things that I wanted to do. Like, you know, I felt like I was making people proud. I felt like I was making myself proud. And it was just, it, it was just a life-changing experience for me to, to see the support that people brought, um, that people brought forward. And it, it's still a day that I remember like so viscerally. I, I will never forget that day in my entire life. Um, so... I continued playing rugby. Um, I continued to go to school. I got my grades way up uh, from, from where it had been previously. Um, and, and throughout this, I, I really wanted to go the research route with psychology. Um, we, St. Mary's College of Maryland has a phenomenal psychology program. I cannot talk it up enough. The professors there are phenomenal. They are amazing. They are supportive. Um, a lot of them also had met me before because I was in the program when I was going through my addiction. and. Um, a lot of them saw me when I returned. And so a lot of them were very, very supportive. I feel like a lot of them knew that I was having problems academically. Of course, if they had a grade book, they knew. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they were really awesome. And so during this time, I did a lot of research. Um, I worked with, you know, rats in the lab, um, you know, make a rat flip the switch, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, teach rats how to learn new things. Uh, we would spend time in the lab, I mean, doing many different things. We, I had like a learning, uh, I, I had a, um, a learning and memory class, that was what that was. 
Um, I had a biopsychology class, um, which again involved rats um, administering different drugs to them, seeing how it affects this thing, affects that thing. Um, just getting into observing rodent behavior in general, doing data analysis. Uh, I had to do a literature review um, in order to graduate, and that was one of the last things I did that, at that university. And my literature review, coincidentally, was on um, PTSD and substance abuse. It was directly related to where I had been in my life, and it meant a lot to me to be able to be on that side of it and to be able to really learn um, about what, uh, what affects that and what helps people to break the cycle of you know, PTSD and substance abuse because with self-medication, the two go hand in hand very nicely, uh, and it makes substance abuse a very difficult thing to just stop. Because if you just stop using, you still have the trauma. You know, you still have the emotion dysregulation. You still have the triggers. You still have the nightmares. You know, you still have all of those things. And so there is not a lot of incentive for people to stop using when you're experiencing symptoms like that. And so my whole thing was trying to do like dual diagnosis research. How do you address both of those things simultaneously so that people can get fully better, so that people can really recover and people can have an environment where they can actually have a real chance of succeeding. Um, you know, and, and, and I still have so much love for, for the whole field of trauma and the field of substance abuse. They're still like really, really big interests of mine. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to do research for the most part. Uh, and when I applied to master's programs, there was only, I think, one research program that I applied to. And there were a few counseling psychology programs that I applied to. I got denied everywhere um, because, again, I had not been a great student when I was still using heavily and when I wasn't taking care of myself. Uh, and so my GPA was not great. And only one university took a chance on me, and that was Frostburg State University. And so I, they asked me to come in for an interview. And so I went in for an interview. And I sat down with uh, Michael Murtaugh, who at the time was the program director, Awesome, awesome dude, very knowledgeable guy, um, has had a very big influence in my life as well. A life coaching certification, let's go. Um, and we had the interview and we talked about, um, you know, just generally, like, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be a therapist? Why do you want to go into this and that? Why are you interested in psychology? And so I shared a little bit of my story about, you know, my own struggles and how that got me interested in and how therapy saved my life. And he asked me, he had, we got this to this point in the, in the interview. It had been going really well so far, but I was like really anxious because I knew my grades sucked. And he asked me directly. He said, you know, I prefer to be able to give people the opportunity to explain the context of what I'm seeing in their file. When I see people's file, it's just numbers and words, and it doesn't mean much, you know. And that's why we have the interviews, and that's also why I ask some tough questions. So... I really want to ask you, what's going on with your GPA? And I, it was so relieving to be able to tell him, like, I had massive substance abuse problems. I was so anxious that I couldn't leave my dorm. And I didn't leave my dorm. There, were, there would be full weeks I wouldn't leave. Um, and, you know, getting to explain that to him and being able to, to point on the transcript, this is the day I got clean. And you can see that the change in my grades. And he saw that. Um, and so we had the interview, he thanked me, and I, I still wanted to have some backup plans. And so I remember I had a, a, a job interview. Oh, excuse me. 
I had a job interview for um, a social work type of position. And so I went and I was doing a ride along to go meet this person's clients just to shadow them for a while, see how I like the job and, and all of that. And I remember I got the email while I was in the car with the guy that said I had been accepted to the master's program. And I like, I broke down. I was so close to breaking down in the car. Um, and I, I told the guy I was with, he was like, oh, hell yeah, dude, that's sick. And he was like, so, so like, where does like that, that make you like, leave, where does that leave you with like the job stuff? Like, what are you thinking? And I was like, I am pretty sure I'm going to go get the masters. And he's like, okay, do you want me to like drop you off? And I was like, I mean, you're already like on your route, man. I don't want to, I don't want to get in the way of things. I'll, I'll just go with you. And so, yeah, we just kind of rode around. I met more of his clients and kind of got to watch the work. It was the first, uh, the first time I got to like see the clinical side of things, um, which is a really, uh, a really cool, uh, a really cool thing to see. And so I had gotten into the master's program. I accepted the offer, of course, which is why I'm here. Um, and so I went to my master's program. And so I want to pause here for a moment to help people understand how the, excuse me, how the educational process goes um, for, uh, for becoming a therapist, because I'm sure a lot of people out there are, are, are interested. So, excuse me, I drank a lot of water way too quickly. So you can get a bachelor's in really anything. Um, that is pretty open. There are some classes that you need to take in order to get into a master's program. Um, you know, I, I know abnormal psych is one of them. Intro to psych is one of them. Um, and there are probably a couple others. And so I, I would check if you're looking to get a master's and you know you're going to want to do that, figure it out as soon as possible. Look at the universities that you want to go to, figure out what classes they require you to take. Because a lot of those classes also have minimum uh, grade requirements too. So that's very important. Um, but what, as long as you have those classes and you have a bachelor's, um, yes, psych, psych statistics, thank you, Bruno. Um, as long as you have all those things, then you can apply to a master's program. You can do things like clinical psychology, counseling psychology. You can go into social work. You can do all of those things. Um, and so within all of that, you can then apply to a, a master's program in one of those areas. And then those programs, they are usually developed so that you can go straight from those programs and then apply for licensure um, so that you can start practicing. Sometimes, uh, I, I believe some colleges don't fully meet the requirements and they require you know an extra class or two that you have to go figure out. Um, but yeah, so I went to a, counseling, a master's of counseling psychology program. I still have the degree on my wall as a reminder to myself of, again, where I have gotten with things. So I, I went to Frostburg State University and I began uh, my program up there. It was pretty rigorous. Um, master's programs usually are. Uh, one of the really cool things that I loved about the program is that they required for you to go to at least six sessions of therapy. I went to way more than six sessions, but um, they required that in order for you to graduate, you have to endorse that you have gone to six sessions of therapy. Um, and so I did that, and I met some really awesome therapists in the time that I was doing that. Um, my favorite therapist was uh, a woman who worked for the university uh, in their counseling center. Uh, she helped me to, I think, get to a lot of really awesome places um, for, for my, own, my own mental health. She did a lot of cognitive work. Um, I take really, really strongly towards cognitive work because, again, I'm a very like logical kind of guy, and I, I love kind of thinking through things, and, and that's really helpful for me. Um, 
I have later on in my life, I've done a lot more experiential work and I do a lot more like getting in touch with the somatic, with the emotional, uh, all of those kinds of pieces. But she, she helped me out a lot. Um, I would go in there and I would be, uh, if I'm being entirely honest, I, I would be very kind of mean and really rude in there sometimes because I didn't have outlets for a lot of the things that I was feeling outside of there. Um, like I, so I had the master's program, which was very difficult. Um, I, I got A's all the time, but I, it was still so intense to have to do. And I worked on the side, I worked, I worked like a social work type of job. It wasn't officially like a social worker position because I wasn't licensed. Um, but I did what they call uh, PRP counseling, so the psychiatric rehabilitation program counseling, where you go and you help people to find resources and you do a little bit of counseling here and there. Um, I did a lot more counseling than I probably should have been doing. Um, but, you know, I, it gave me an opportunity to practice a lot of the things I was learning in the classroom, you know, from motivational interviewing to CBT type of stuff. It was, it was a very, very helpful experience. Um, and so with all that stress, I would come into that session and I would be pretty, pretty nasty sometimes. Um, and she was always very patient with me because um, I think she understood that, you know, it, it I don't know, so there was just something that she understood about it, that she never really got offended by it. Uh, and, you know, I, I do regret the way that I acted in there. Um, I think it's a part of my, it's a part of my mental health that, you know, I, I have a pretty good handle on nowadays, but it's still, it's something that I know I've got in me that I don't like very much, uh, because that can, that can come out sometimes and I'm much better at it nowadays. I, I handle it much, much in a much more healthy way. So... I had that therapist, I had some other therapists who were not very good. Um, I've shared those stories on TikTok before, so I will not bore you with repeating them. Um, if you were interested, you can go check those out. And so I went through the three-year program. It was two years of classes and then one year of an internship. And so I'm, I'm doing this job, like social work stuff, uh, on the side the whole time. Uh, I didn't have, like, any friends up in Cumberland, anything like that. Uh, I just kind of went and uh you know lived in an apartment by myself didn't really talk to anyone didn't really interact with anybody uh which also gave me a lot of opportunities to kind of work on myself and it's something that really helped me to i mean especially when like when when covid initially happened it really helped that i was used to being by myself all the time and it that that too gave me a, a lot of opportunities to be able to really work on myself because COVID hit in the in that third year of the program when I was in the middle of my internship. So for my internship, I was working at a local hospital, and we did rotations there. <clears throat> I did one rotation as a crisis counselor down in the psychiatric ER. So I would do um, uh, unaliving risk assessments when people be, would be brought in by therapists or, um, or police officers, whoever would bring them in. Um, I would do mental status exams. So sometimes, you know, somebody is, has gotten surgery or somebody has ended up somewhere else in the hospital and they need somebody to assess that they, uh, that they are able to, you know, like recognize, like some of the things on the test would be, can they recognize what day it is? Can they recognize where they are? Can they recognize who they are? Uh, can they, um, you know, draw a circle? Um, can they name the next number in a sequence? You know, can they do those kinds of things? And you know, you might think, well, that sounds pretty easy, but there are, realistically, there are some times when people cannot do that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, get, try to make sure that people are, are oriented. Um, 
you know, I, I had times where uh, I remember there was there would be people I would ask, like, what year is it? And they would say, like, oh, 1997. And as you know, as if it is as if it was me telling you telling you my name, um, which is a, a really sad thing to say. Uh, and so that was one of the things that I did there. Um, I liked crisis counseling a lot. I don't think I will ever do it again uh, because it's really tough work and it's really heartbreaking work. Um, and it's very fast paced, demanding work because if somebody, so there are two different ways that this can go, right? One side will say that, you know, you meet the criteria for admission. And so, you know, you're going to be admitted to the hospital. And so that can go many different ways. They can go voluntarily where they will admit to you readily. Like you'll, you'll say to them, I'm going to recommend that you be admitted. You know, how do you feel about that? And they would say, oh yeah. Yeah, I need to stay here. And you'd be like, all right, cool. Um, or it would go the other way and it would have to be an involuntary, which I have a million ethical concerns about that whole process. I can definitely get into it someday because um, I have a million ethical concerns with that whole process. Um, but then sometimes people would also get, uh, get admitted and we didn't have room for kids. And so if you have a kid who comes in, then you have to find a bed for a kid. You have to find a hospital nearby that has a bed available who can take this kid. And you have to arrange all that. And you have to do that while you also have three other people who are waiting for an assessment. So it's very, very tough work. It's very busy work. It is very stressful work. And I was working 10-hour days. Uh, so it was not not tight. Um, it, and, yeah, again, it was it was just very heartbreaking. Like, you know, doing a an unaliving risk assessment with a 7-year-old who can tell you that they want to unalive themselves and they can tell you exactly what it means to unalive yourself. And they can recognize, like, because I, I would ask them, like, you know, do you know what that means? And they would say, yep, this is what it means. Like, okay. And so when you do that, what happens? You know, what, what happens at that point? Um, you know, and they were like, well, you're gone. And, you know, kids can, can readily recognize that. And that's a heartbreaking thing to, to go through. Um, you know, and you still deal with that as a therapist in general, but to a, a you aren't dealing with it multiple times a day, every single day, you know. So I did that rotation, and I was doing individual therapy through this whole time as well, which was a wonderful experience. I met a lot of really cool people and um, got to do a lot of really wonderful, no, excuse me, really, a lot of really wonderful sessions. Um, uh, this, the next rotation was working on the behavioral health unit, so... People have been admitted, they're inpatient, now you're working with them there. You are trying to help them get better day by day, you're facilitating groups, um, and meanwhile you're also doing a lot of social work. You're trying to hook them up with resources for when they leave, hook them up with the therapist, with intensive outpatient programs if they need it, with a rehab if they need it, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I got you. Um, and I, I liked that work a lot, but I really, I really preferred getting to work with clients longer term, um, which is something that I got to do in the next rotation, which is intensive outpatient, um, which is all group oriented, group therapy. Uh, and it, it was a really wonderful experience. And it's, that is one of the things that I loved so much that like now the agency I work for, I think it was like a couple months into, into that job. I, I had told my boss, like, if you ever want to start like an IOP program, I've got you. And she has let me, and I currently lead the, uh, the IOP program. Um, I currently lead the IOP program at our agency. 
uh, which I love, love, love doing. I, I get to do it with, with teenagers right now, which um, that is a, a population I never thought I would like, but um, I'm very, I, I love getting to work with that population. And so got to do intensive outpatient. Um, I think I learned more about myself as a clinician during that rotation because you are on spot. You're in front of 10 different people and you have to facilitate the group process. And so you have to regulate yourself within it. I recognized what kinds of things trigger me, which I would then take back to my therapist and I would talk to them about. Um, you know, and, and the person who was working above me, uh, Sarah Bussard, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal therapist, wonderful, even better human being. Um, she led me through a lot of what I would be doing and whenever we would come back from one hour of group because there were there were three hour days she would say okay what do you think what do you feel like you got to change what do you got to improve on where are you going to go in the next hour and she gave me so much unfiltered feedback that I really appreciate because she would watch me do it she was in the room the whole time and you know she would if I need to get bailed out she would bail me out uh, which was all <laughs> which was helpful um you know, and she would really challenge me. She would really push me. And I told her, like, I'm cool with you saying literally anything that you need to say to me. And she helped me grow as a clinician, I think, more than anybody else ever did. Um, you know, she she taught me to get in touch with myself, to really recognize my value as a human being, and to be confident in what I was doing. Um, I think I was so unsure of myself leading up to this moment. And I, I think she really did a lot for my confidence, um, as did a lot of the patients. The patients were so wonderful. Um, so, uh, I was supposed to enter into the last rotation of my time at the hospital and then COVID-19 hit and working in a hospital, they are like, no, like interns are not coming in here. Interns are not sticking around. Um, you know, y'all are the first ones to go. And so I went and, you know, my job, my other job, uh, we also moved from going face to face and we had to do telehealth. So I don't know if any of you have ever been to Cumberland, Maryland, but it is just outside of West Virginia. A lot of people up there do not have access to reliable internet. A lot of people don't have access to the internet, period. And so I would have to do like sessions over the phone, which was horrible, horrible work. I hated it more than anything clinically I think I've ever done in my life. Um, but I did that for a while and eventually just unceremoniously graduated with my master's. We didn't get to graduate, didn't have any of our ceremonies. We just graduated and they sent me my degree in the mail. Um, and so after that experience, I moved down to Silver Spring, Maryland with a bunch of friends of mine who were rugby guys. Um, it comes full circle all, all the time. It always comes back to the rugby dudes. Um, and I started my job with the agency that I currently work with. <laughs> and, um, so I, I started my first year was primarily doing insurance paperwork for Optum, which is like Medicaid, uh, a Medicaid company, because um, our agency has always worked with primarily Medicaid. We now take a few other insurances, but we've always been primarily Medicaid. Uh, and I hated doing insurance paperwork. It's soul sucking work. Anybody who does that, I have so much respect for you. It is the worst thing I have ever had to do in my life. I also wasn't very good at it. Um, and so my boss wasn't very happy about that. But they recognized that, you know, I have a master's. I, I was also licensed. Um, and so I wanted to be a therapist. And they allowed me to be a therapist, which is where I am at now. Um, another thing for people who are wondering about becoming a therapist. So uh, when you get your master's and you have all your hours from your internship, you have all the right classes. Again, if you're curious about what those requirements are, go to your state 
health board's website. They have all the requirements spelled out for you very, very easily. <clears throat> uh, I, I, so I, I took all the tests that were required. The national certification exam? No, no national counseling exam, of course, Rob. Uh, I think they would do certification and exam in the same thing. Um, you got you to take that, and you got to take a, um, a test get showing that and demonstrating that you understand the ethical law in your state as well. Uh, and so I did all that stuff, got my background check, got my letter of recommendation, got that turned in, and, I, and so I got my licensure. Um, I'm, still on my, I'm still on that provisional licensure. I will have full licensure here in about a month, which I'm very excited about. Uh, and so, yeah, I did that one year of doing the insurance paperwork, and now I am a full-on therapist. Uh, which is the most rewarding thing I think I could ever be doing in my life. I don't think I will ever do another job in my life until, like, maybe like if I like retire, maybe I'll get a job, like stocking shelves or um, something. I don't know, uh, maybe <clears throat> something like that. But um, yeah, and so initially when I started becoming a when I started working as a therapist. Oh, excuse me, got to drink water at some point. This will be kind of like the last part of my journey that I'll share for today because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass out if I keep talking. Um, I initially started working with kids and adolescents, and I told them I don't want to... Wow, a massive branch just fell off that tree. Holy crap. That was wild. Uh, anyways, so... Um, that really threw me off. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't want to work with kids and adolescents. I would have much preferred to work with adults. That is who I worked with in IOP. Uh, it's who I worked with in the behavioral health unit. You know, I was used to working with adults and um, no such luck, all kids. Uh, and I have loved working with kids and adolescents in a way I never thought that I would. Um, I work very, very well with teenagers. I work very well with kids. Uh, sometimes, you know, I work with, I work with kids and teenagers who got a lot of spunk and, you know, they get just mad and, you know, they, they take it out on you. But, uh, you know, I'm very good at being able to just kind of like, okay, like I, I would be interested in figuring out what you got going on behind all of this. And, um, you know, I, I, we do a really good job of communicating back and forth with one another, um, and so I still work primarily with kids and adolescents. I, I honestly imagine, even though I want to work with more adults, because I love doing some of the like post-trauma um, adult kind of work. You can do EMDR and stuff with kids and, and parts work, all that. And I do some of it within the IOP groups. But I really, I also really want to work with adults um, who have been figuring out what's going on with them. And they're trying to figure out, like, like excuse me, like, like that's what I do on TikTok, like. I, I imagine that the vast majority of you all are adults, um, you know, and so that's the population I like working with. It's the level of understanding that I like working with. Um, so might work my way there someday, but yeah, right now I work with a lot of kids, a lot of kids, a lot of adolescents. Um, yeah, and I've loved it in the way that I didn't, I didn't think that I would. So that is kind of my story of how I've become a therapist at this point. Uh, there are a lot of twists and turns within all of that, and so I hope that it was coherent. I hope that it made sense. Um, this has been very 
uh, I think, cathartic for myself, and I'm happy that uh, this is how I decided to spend the day today. Um, so that has been nice. Uh, and so, yeah, for all those who are interested, we continue to, to run with the podcast. Um, this has been, once again, the Please Stay Inside podcast. I appreciate you all so much for joining, and I will catch you all next week. So take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. See you.